Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and today we've got the second installment of a wonderful conversation with Bridget Pensano and Bo Tiller. Today we unpack our testimonies just a little bit more and really dive into Dominice Cene by Pope St. John Paul II. And before I kick you over to the episode, I just want to say a quick thank you to everybody out there who's left a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You're helping us get the word out to the rest of the world that Jesus is truly alive, that he's about a good work, and that he is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's the episode. Hope you enjoy. That's amazing. I have so many thoughts. I have like a half page of notes just listening to your testimony. Well, I, I appreciate you letting me so share it for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you were talking about how you, when you first were coming to junior to senior year of, of college, how you had put up these roadblocks, like you, you called them roadblocks. Well, I think these, they kind of ha- happened for me. Yeah. Whether bit. they were your doing or not. But the idea here just being that roadblocks, these concrete barriers, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's hilarious how we put up these walls with God. And we think of the the hardest thing that we can think of, right, in terms of like building a wall. It's not diamonds because you're not going to build a wall out of diamonds. Who does that? Nobody. (laughs) But like, you know, solid concrete, however many feet thick. But here's the deal is that concrete's still porous. Like water, if you suspend water Hmm. over the top of concrete, it's still going to get through. Mm -hmm. And how it was kind of like a grace of osmosis. Speaking of science. Oh, you're speaking my language. Let's go. <laughs> Live science. This grace of just this osmosis grace that is slow, slowly just working through that wall. And then before you know it, it was actually in your bloodstream. Um, oh, you're saying it, the sin in the world. No, 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 God. God's oh, grace. We're thinking about this metaphor differently. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, not sin. No. Um, sin can decay like, uh, you know, like rust or... Uh-huh. Um, like a diseased root or whatever, but I was thinking more in terms of God's grace. Just oh, I'm with you. Some, some like, that okay, I was keeping God in a box. Keeping him out, hmm. keeping him over there, away from me in these ways, in, my part, in, in, this, in these parts of my life, but still his love just permeated mm-hmm. through it. It was porous. Through, it mm-hmm. came through that porous concrete. Uh, no matter how much of it that you put up or how much you had, it still kind of found its way through. And you're talking about this closed door, this, uh, what's the thing that you're not a job, but it's called a... Internship? internship. You had this closed. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, you had this <laughs> this closed door of the internship falling through, uh-huh. and it just got me thinking about how much grace there mm. is waiting for us in closed doors. Amen. We're just so American to being like, why ain't this door open for us? Dang it! <laughs> it's it's the guy hinges. It should open when I say you know. It's like that's not mm. how God works. <laughs> He's so much bigger than that. Yeah. He's so much bigger than just like appeasing the toddler mindset of like I want it now. Yeah. Open mm-hmm. it up now. I want a snack, Dad. I want it now. Now the Lord is so good, and He knows what's best for us mm-hmm. at all times, in every place, and in every season. That sometimes the greatest thing that He can give us is a closed door. Because when we turn around and finally accept that it ain't going to open, he's got something even better for us Mm. than we asked for. My wife has a phrase there that I don't know if it's original to her, but there's no rejection. There's only protection. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. She may have come up with that. I've never heard it anywhere else. She applied it mostly to her dating life. Mm. (laughs) Uh, It's good. But 
I think it applies there. Yeah. That that God rejects things that he's protecting us for. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. And you can you could split hairs on that that dichotomy for days, but I love it because the Lord, I mean, Jesus shows us himself mm. through the gospels that he doesn't reject anybody. People reject themselves. People excuse themselves. They reject themselves from the, the wedding banquet, the wedding feast. Mm. Um, only those who don't come are those who choose not to. I mean, even when he, even when he trims and uh, what's the word for it? Prunes. prunes. Even when he trims and he prunes, he's not rejecting. You block that out of your mind because you want to think about the blackberry boy. <laughs> I know. I love blackberries. Full circle. I love love mm-hmm. and I love blackberries. Yeah. But, he says, good job. Yeah. Snip. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're like, ah, no, I was comfortable there. <laughs> yeah. There's so much grace waiting for us in closed doors. So if you're listening to this right now and mm-hmm. you're just like in a room full of closed doors. Like we are. Waiting. Just keep <laughs> We are literally in a room full of closed doors, yes. <laughs> I forget who said it, but the, the charismatic dimension of the church. So charismatic is a word that just means uh, grace or like gift. So it hmm. comes from this Greek word charis, which means gift. So like a present, like a gift, mm-hmm. something that's given. And St. Paul, uh, he talks about um, no one can say Jesus is Lord, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, right before he starts talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Not the sanctifying gifts of the Holy Spirit found in Isaiah, but the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit for the upbuilding, consolation, and Hmm. encouragement of the body of Christ. So that's what those are for. So prophecy, the prophetic gifts, uh, the healing gifts. If you want to know more about the charismatic gifts, read (laughs) 1 Corinthians 12. There's nine of them. There you go. Yeah. There are these universal, we love that word in Catholic world, universal. Catholic doesn't actually mean universal. It means according to the whole. Fun fact for you. People say it means universal. It doesn't. It means according to the whole. Um, But the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit are these universal gifts that we have Mm. access to through the grace of our baptism in Christ Jesus. Like Mm. we have the ability to hear God's voice. We have the ability to heal. We have the ability to uh, hear his voice, not just for ourselves, but for those in the world around us. We have the ability to proclaim his praise and to speak in languages unknown to man. Mm. It's just amazing. I just love that this is a part of the church and it's not it's not outside the guardrails mm-hmm. of the church. Right. This is very much so in the catechism. This is very much so in the tradition of the church. This is very much so Catholic. Like we are not cessationalists. We do not believe that the people of the church today do not have access to these same gifts that St. Paul's talking about in his letter, his mm-hmm. first letter to the Corinthians, that they are very much present in the church today, just as they were in the times of Polycarp in the times of the mm-hmm. apostles, in the times of any other point in the church's mm-hmm. history. There has not been a single time. That, Come on. That I think that the when you have an appreciation for church history and the lives of the saints, hmm. then it also provides templates for for the expression of those gifts. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. is God really going to guide me in a way that is entirely different than the way he's been guiding the church for 2,000 years? Maybe, but it's probably, I mean, it's probably going to at least rhyme. Highly unlikely. <laughs> yeah. um, so... Yeah. I think that's another thing that's a little dangerous if you jump from New Testament to living my life right now. Hmm. What's my interpretation of the New Testament? And you stop appreciating the tradition of the church and yeah. the, mm-hmm. the lives of the saints and the yep. how God has expressed himself through history. Um, yep. Are you letting the perspective, the paradigm, the worldview that you currently have today inform your interpretation of Scripture? Or are you letting Scripture hmm. form the way that you interpret the world around you today, the way that you see things should be the, should be the latter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And just this idea that 
pouring into a small community, man, we are all built for that. Mm-hmm. We are all mm-hmm. built for that. And you talked about Francis Chan for, uh, for a hot minute, hot sec. And it was great because he left. He, he built this massive yeah. mega church yeah. in, oh, in Orange County in L.A. And he said, no, this, is, this isn't actually the way. Yeah. This isn't what we were meant for. So he, he was like, he realized that actually I'm, I'm called the poor into a small community, a small community of believers. And I think we're really all meant to do that. Yeah, that's the, that's the Christian call is to pour in uh, into those in our spheres of influence. Yeah. And I love the parish model along that, those yeah. lines. Like the idea that hmm. it's a universal um, united church. Yeah. But we're going to divide this up by diocese. We're going to divide it up by parishes. Right. And you're not church shopping. Mm-hmm. You're going to that parish down the street yep. mm-hmm. and you're learning how to live with those people. Yeah. I think that's a, yeah. um, and I'll tell you, I wasn't that, I wasn't overly disillusioned with the Protestant church and the, and that was probably the problem, part of the problem of wrestling so much before I yeah. was able to say yes to Sam and then yes to the Catholic church was, um, but things that I was disillusioned with is the degree of individualism and the degree of tribalism that can occur through hmm. Through my interpretation, this mm. is how I see scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm going to join up with believers that see scripture that same way. And if I get mad at them, I'm going to go join this other group. Mm-hmm. Um, or start my own thing. Right. Or start my own thing, yeah. which I think leads to echo chambers. I think it leads to mm. uh, a lot of confirming what you already believe. Yeah. Um, and so that's the. Um, I'm excited about the. Well, I'll speak a little bit more about that. I think that. Catholicism does a little bit better job, definitely a better job than Protestantism. Um, I don't want to, uh, there's so many things that I still want to bring through my mm-hmm. life and, sure. and my experience from um, the evangelical Protestant world into Catholicism. And I can talk about those too, but I think that the, something I really appreciate about Catholicism is this commute, commitment to unity um, means that the progressives, the conservatives, the mm. traditionalists, the charismatics, the right. evangelicals, the the folks that all tend to um, lean into different expressions of the faith should be staying under the same house of God and should be attending the same parishes and yeah. should be learning mm. to live together, which then refines us all into mm. a much more well-rounded body. Yeah. Um, where that's the the... the pattern I see within Protestantism of denomination splitting due to me needing to go find my own thing or start my own yeah, thing. It's it's a matter um, of like expression, right? right? Like how many how many of our brothers and sisters out there in the Protestant and evangelical world um, find themselves uh, in a in a, a situation of splintering mm-hmm. uh, in such a way that you know, rather than unity being the fruit, it's actually disunity, things um, uh, deteriorating. And it's it's a matter of like it can always just, it can sometimes boil back down to a, a matter of expression, a faith expression. How is your faith expressed? And I love um, the capital C Catholic Church because there's 23 other churches in communion with Rome uh, hmm. in the East. And it's not like, and even within the Latin Rite, there's there's many different expressions of our faith, but still one faith that we all profess mm-hmm. every single Sunday. Mm. I've got a Francis Chan quote that I... Send it. Oh, yeah. To be honest, I like while Francis Chan was doing his house church, more moving away from Simi Valley, and um, I stopped following him as closely. Um, but in hearing him on on this podcast, the last hearing of him, last couple times, I did a little bit more research, and um, essentially he was speaking about 
how by focusing so much on the sermon in the pulpit and mm-hmm. not on the altar, or not at least having the altar have mm-hmm. as much weight as it should, that it's led to a lot of the factions and the disunity. Wow. Um, and the quote oh, is, wow. do you really believe that it could be God's will that we have like 20 different tables? Uh, uh, meaning, yeah, Ooh. like if <laughs> if we could unify around Holy Communion, hmm. um, then we could probably tolerate somebody slightly different than us um, and just speaks to unifying around the table. Yeah. Um, allows us to tolerate a little bit if you're a little bit more progressive or a little bit more conservative or a little bit more charismatic. Um, like I can respect that and learn from that yeah. Hmm. because we're putting ourselves under the lordship of God Amen. Uh, around the table. That's good. Yeah. So if you could offer any advice out there to those who might be on the fence with respect to Jesus in the Holy Eucharist, what advice would you give? I've been talking for a while, Bridget. I could keep going if you want. <laughs> I know. I got to think about that one. How about you hop in first? Um, well, I, I'll tell you that I am, I mean, I referenced it. I'm so new to being formed mm. by the Eucharist um, that the, I will tell you that so much of Catholic practice didn't make sense to me until I accepted the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Mm. Um, for example, I used to read the bulletin and read the catechism and read the Bible during the whole consecration time because I had no idea what was going on. Mm. So that, 20 minutes or whatever it would be of that time before I really started digging in, didn't mm. really have any idea what was going on there. So I'd say that to people that understand the Eucharist. Mm. If you have people in your life that don't understand Jesus' real presence in the Eucharist or, or aren't, haven't been convinced or, or have not accepted it in their life, like have some patience there. Um, mm. So I, I guess I would say that to Catholics or people like evaluating and looking at the church in general and trying to understand why things are done the way they are is... Even if you don't believe in it right now, yeah, you have to look at Catholic practices through that. That it's kind of like what I said in my own testimony earlier. Like, if I now believe that the God of the universe loves me and sent His Son to die for my sins, like my whole life has to get reevaluated and changed. Yeah. Um, so I think that similarly, like if you ever find yourself thinking, "Why does the Catholic Church do that?" probably look at it through, okay, if we really believe that this turns right. into the body and blood of Christ, mm-hmm. then yeah, uh, that probably has something to do about it, with it. Mm-hmm. Man, there's a huge difference between trying to prove something and being hungry for truth. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, if there's anybody out there who you find, if you might experience that right now, if something just twinged in your heart, hunger for truth, seek truth. Mm-hmm. And just ask, man, if everything that they're talking about, if everything that the church does with respect to the Mass and the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass in the Holy Eucharist, if that's true, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. And it brings it brings a sacred dimension to life that I think a lot of people outside of um, outside of the Catholic Church or the Orthodox or the Anglican folks that are still sure. practicing the real presence, um, mm. and we could discuss all those differences if we wanted to, not that I know them, but... Hmm. know at least to, that they exist. Sure. I think that a lot of people in a more low church environment, in more of a, um, mm-hmm. the altar isn't front and center environment, are hungering for a more sacramental, sacred, mm-hmm. um, real presence of Jesus um, beyond just the other expressions of faith that they receive. So I guess I would say to people that feel like they're searching for a sacred space, uh, my grandmother said this to me recently that she's a 
she spent most of her life in the Methodist church. And I was telling her that I had joined the church. Um, it's my dad's mom. Um, so, I mean, he's a, an evangelical pastor. She spent her life in the Methodist church. And she told me, you know, I've, I've never felt the Holy Spirit like I did in a Catholic church one time. Mm. I was like, that's great to hear, Grandma. Mm. Or Mushi is what she goes by. <laughs> that's um, great. And yeah, I think that people hunger for for sacred spaces and they mm. hunger for something beyond the material, yeah. uh, purely material in the world. Mm-hmm. And I do think you come up short of that if you're in a mm-hmm. Christian expression that's not as sacramental. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think to Catholics, I might say, so Catholics who don't believe in the true presence I guess I would ask, why not, (laughs) you know? And like, can we like maybe just dare to take Jesus at his word and start going to receive the Eucharist Mm -hmm. in a way where you're actively choosing to believe it over the course of like time, maybe even, you know, a week or a few weeks and see what happens. Like see the grace in your life. Yeah. Um, If you actively start like thinking that way and like assenting to it. Yeah. So, and then I would say probably for non-Catholics, I I guess I would just challenge on like openness. Um, like, okay, well, I'll start with this. And this could be maybe a controversial statement and we could talk about this too. But I, I had a priest um, share with me once that, and I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase, but basically he said, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this statement, but everybody's meant to be Catholic, but maybe for what God has for them, they're not ma- meant to be Catholic yet. Like actually somebody could potentially be a, a better Christian and more faithful, faithful follower of Jesus at this point in their life, not being Catholic, but ultimately God's plan for them is to be Catholic. It's an interesting thought. Hmm. And so, but I think for everybody on their journey of faith, like somebody for you, Bo, like I'm thinking about your journey, like you're an incredibly faithful follower of Jesus. And at, at some point, yeah, at some point. You, you had to wrestle with an openness to a different way of thinking, which actually takes such humility in like in spirit and in, in your mind to be like, all right, I'm open, Jesus, to, for you changing my mind on this um, and helping me to understand that. Um, and I think in different conversations I've had, I just and you said a, a point, Lee, about like sometimes we try to prove something um, and I think sometimes we're trying to prove things in conversation with people as opposed to actually seeking truth. Um, I also, there's a, an, a wonderful priest here on the Missouri side, Kansas City, Father Randy Sly, who came um, from an Anglican background. I think he was an Anglican bishop before he converted to Catholicism. Hmm. And he said, he shared, at some point he shared with me a little bit about that journey. Um, and basically he came to this point where like he didn't understand everything about the Catholic Church. But what he came to the conclusion of is, I believe the Holy Spirit birthed the Catholic Church. And so then, like everything under that, I say yes to because I believe that one thing. And Lord, you're going to help me understand that. Um, So I think it's this like, yeah, we might not be able to understand everything right now, but can we like say yes to the one thing or at least like the biggest thing and kind of everything under that falls into place? but I think, yeah, going back to like, is there an openness there actually to to think about something different? Um, and then I would say for Catholics who are just having conversations with people about the true mm-hmm. presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, um, I, I find that so often I just 
Bo, you'd be better at this than me. But for me, I find that so often I just fail in trying to like convince people of things, particularly as it's related to faith. Like I'm not going to probably just based on my background. I mean, I studied aerospace engineering. I didn't Which study takes theology. A lot of smart. Right. So I, I'm smart in some things, but I don't have a lot of the theology background that I would love to have. And I mean, I'm learning along the way. Absolutely. Um, but a lot of times in conversation, I'm like, ah, I just, I don't know exactly what to say to that. Um, particularly to people who may be argumentative or even people who are like quite a bit smarter than me intellectually. And so, I mean, so much of my own encounter with the Lord and particularly with Jesus in the Eucharist has been experiential. Yeah. And so it's like, can I introduce people to the person of Jesus and the experience of Jesus and then have total confidence that he's going to be the one to like lead them mm-hmm. to the fullness yeah. of truth. Um, and so that, th- I mean, that experience of Jesus might be like one of my, one time I was working with a missionary and she was um, starting to introduce a non-Catholic friend of hers to adoration. And this girl would come into adoration, didn't really know too much about what it was about, but she was like, it just feels good in there. <laughs> and you know, there's yes, like a does. reality to like the, presen- like the presence of God is there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's an openness there that we can start having conversation with. And, um, I might, yeah, there's a lot I could say here, but I think so much of it is like, as we're having these conversations, people like we got to go back to the heart of like relationship with one another. Yeah. Like if we're not actually building friendship with people that we're trying to have these conversations with, it is just going to be like, okay, well, who's intellectually smarter and who can win this argument? Um, which, okay, there is a time and a place for that. Absolutely. Mm. But I think at the heart of evangelization is like, can we build friendship with people and have opening in their life to talk about a relationship with Jesus? And then to talk about how we've experienced that in our own lives, which hopefully is going to be through the sacraments, through the Eucharist, through various means. Um, And then from that place have like some curiosity where we can answer questions. I mean, that's kind of how it started with you. It sounds like too, it's just Mm -hmm. like this curiosity and father Anthony was so open to just like have conversation with you. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's kind of maybe going back to that one thing I said of that the priest had shared with me once, like everybody's meant to be Catholic, but maybe not yet. What do you guys think about that? It's kind of provocative. I have lots of thoughts. Yeah, like seriously. Can I? Yeah. Goalie. Well, obviously I don't have the context for the rest of that conversation, but I think I don't necessarily need it to speak into it just a little. I think um, he was getting at uh, the heart, the the underpinnings of that a statement like that is just like a heart for what faith really is. Hmm. So, for example, there are, millions of Catholics throughout the world who being Catholic doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, being Catholic, just like being American, that's a good, that's a good point. Is, it doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's just an, it's just a name. It's just a title. It's just a thing. He kind of used it in a dual meaning at the same time. So I think he was getting at that, um, you know, faith that can't be forced on ourselves or on others. Mm-hmm. And just because you have uh, just because you're something in name doesn't mean that you are in actuality. Mm-hmm. So like just because you are Catholic does not mean you are um, in full communion. Yep. Just yeah. because you are Catholic does not mean that uh, you have a lived relationship with the Savior of the world, the mm-hmm. Lord, the King, the creator in, of the universe. Like just because you're Catholic doesn't necessarily mean that your faith is alive. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so, yeah, Jesus might say, I never knew you. Actually. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like we were, you know, even those he said who worked miracles in my name, miracles could be turned away mm-hmm. um, because of their lack of faith. So 
which is sobering. Oh, it's so scary. It is. Yeah. It's and like, I think, yeah, maybe for some context, that's actually a helpful reminder because I think in this conversation it was, we were having a conversation with a friend of mine who is extremely zealous for the Catholic faith yeah. and just kind of comes from the, the point of view where just, I want to make everybody Catholic. I want to get you there. Which is like yeah. a beautiful sentiment, but then, uh, you know, at it's kind of at what cost? At the, right. Yeah. Zeal is cheap. Love is hard. Love oh. is, you know, let's okay. go. Okay. All right. <laughs> Sounds like Bob Goff. Come on. Preach <laughs> it, Pastor Lee. <laughs> no, seriously, like that's the difference, like between a, a, a sophomoric disciple and hmm. a mature disciple is knowing that the goal is not to convert people. I mean, yeah. Not forcefully. Yeah. <laughs> not not <laughs> crusade. Not subtly. Very subtly. Yeah. Um, no, but to love people. That's the aim. Yeah. Love is the aim always. And if we're not loving people, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe in that conversation with this person who was super zealous, like, again, it's really easy to be zealous about a lot of different things, hmm. especially if you're so convicted of the truth, the truth is the truth. Uh, people must know the truth. But truth cuts really, really hard. Hmm. It's got to be grace and truth. What's that? Got to have grace and truth. Exactly. Jesus, Jesus came in grace and truth. Yeah. And I think it probably just gives permission for people to be on their own journeys of faith. Yeah. Yeah. And to, and to allow that to happen versus like trying to come down with a hammer or something. Right. But To be clear, the Lord's desire for all of us is to have full restored yes. communion with himself. Mm-hmm. And where is that found if not the Catholic Church? Amen. I have a few thoughts. Yeah, hop in. Get in there. One, this is a good time to plug a book I've already talked to you about, Bridget. Yes. The, so a book I read recently um, by Gordon Smith, who's a professor of systematic theology and a president at a Christian university in Canada. I think that he is um, Church of the Nazarene originally. Got it. Or that's his roots. But the title of the book is Evangelical Sacramental Pentecostal, Why the Church Should Be All Three. Um, And so this was incredibly convicting for me because I I have a huge heart for ecumenism after, I mean, Mm -hmm. so many of people that are near and dear to me, I'm not in full communion with right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. Um, And so the... So essentially my takeaway from that book, Hmm. um, and I don't think I'm off of his thesis, was if we were all, if every single church was being evangelical, uh, promoting the gospel, focusing on the gospel, engaging in solid teaching and preaching, being sacramental, taking the Eucharist, or at least whatever they want to call it, Mm -hmm. Holy Communion, um, and baptism at the very least, taking those two things seriously— um, and maybe have seven sacraments or maybe two, or they would work to, towards unity if they were at least making the altar central um, on a weekly basis. And then Pentecostal of being open to the leading of the Spirit, hmm. um, whether that come through praise and worship, um, it has to come through the real presence hmm. um, yeah. if, if you're believing in the real presence. So my take on that quote is partially that, um, I mean, I look at people like Scott Hahn, hmm. there's no telling who Scott Hahn would be as a theologian and, and, and a teacher if he didn't have his roots in his Protestant faith sure. um, and what he knew of Scripture coming in and um, kind of the lens he would have of the Catholic Church mm. while also being able to speak to mm-hmm. the, the further Christian world. So maybe different people at different seasons are experiencing a little bit more evangelicalism, a little bit more sacramental mm. expression, a little bit more Pentecostal expression— um, and their local parish might not be ready for that, and they wouldn't experience that 
where I do think that ideally everybody would be coming together and expressing yeah. all three of those under one church mm-hmm. that's eating that's around good. one table. Um, and so in God's divine plan, maybe there's space for that. Um, but I do think if every church was doing those three mm-hmm. things, we would naturally just grow back together. Mm, that's good. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that would be beautiful. When you think, go was, ahead. Yeah, just thinking like, I, I, yeah, I appreciate both of what you're saying, I think, to speak into that. And I, what I'm hearing too is just to allow like, well, to trust that the Lord is going to work all things for good. So it's like, yeah, in Scott Hahn's experience, like he's coming in with all of this background that is actually influencing who he is now in the Catholic world, which is incredible. Um, and to really honor people's story, because I think if we're not careful, we can be dismissive of where people are at now, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which can then cause some damage to their journey along the way. But if we're honoring the story and where they're at right now, as well as introducing them to, hey, here's 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 an idea of truth yeah. um, that I want to bring you into, yeah. um, then there can be a fuller story there. Yeah, not can't dismiss the present moment of where they are. Mm-hmm. You know, who would we be? Like Jesus, did, he came and he walked among the disciples mm-hmm. on the road to Emmaus and he, he walked with them. He mm-hmm. asked some questions. Yeah, maybe just to riff off that for a second, like I think just from my own ministry and missionary experience, like it, we're going to be rejected. I'm going to be, re- I've been rejected many times, but I mean like rejection, yeah. not protection. Sometimes I'm just rejected. Um, yeah. But particularly in, in trying to reach people and bring yeah. them into relationship with Jesus and the Catholic church, like I will be rejected and to not like, to not be afraid of that. That's actually part of the journey too is, yeah. and that's what Jesus experienced as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but to be, I think there's, there's risk in that. There's risk in relationship. Like if we choose to engage relationship with other people in an evangelistic way, we run the risk of being rejected. Yeah. Um, we run the risk of kind of feeling exposed, I think. Um, like in my own experiences, as I've invited people um, to journey with Jesus and live their life fully committed to him, yeah. I'm like, I'm giving my full self to that. I'm in relationship with other people. Yeah. And so then when that rejection comes or when they're like, no, I don't want that. Thanks, though. It's like, oh, I just feel that. And there's there's an exposing in me that happens there um, where actually the Lord then gets to come in and like bring me into like fuller communion with him, if that makes sense. So there's like a healing of my wounds that happens. There's there's like um, lies that are brought to the surface that then can we can renounce and proclaim truth over different areas. And so there's like when we partner with Jesus in the way that he's inviting us to, to bring people to him, yeah, like we, we are actually going to get to partner with him, which means experiencing what he experienced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, how many, how many people did you, the disciples themselves at the resurrection doubted. Yeah. Like they worshiped, but they doubted. Like it's right there in the gospels, but some doubted, you know, it's like, ah, uh, he was so, Jesus is so patient. He is mm-hmm. so patient. So I think be patient with mm-hmm. your brothers and sisters out there because the Lord has a plan for us all and it's mm-hmm. happiness and holiness. And uh, when we are rejected, it's not easy to walk with people. You know, you got to gear up. Yeah. You know, it's not just <laughs> so to walk true. around the block. <laughs> like no. walking with people on Bring the Christian provisions. life. It is. Yeah. Bring your ruck. I mean, we were even talking about Christian community a little bit a little bit ago, and it's the same thing there. I, th- I think, like, I, I'll just propose this. Like, if we're actually living Christian community the way that we're meant to, it's going to rub. And sometimes we're going to be so 
angry with the people that we're like running in yeah. community with. And I, I think even in the Catholic world, I would I say sometimes that we like, yeah, we might not split off into a different denomination, but I might leave and go to a different parish or I might sure. just ignore you when I walk down the block. Um, but instead, like actually the call to Christian communities, yeah, to live life together, but then to press in when it's yeah. really hard. So it's both for the evangelistic relationships and then the people yeah. that I'm actually trying to live in community with. Um which means that we're all going to get to grow. It's the stones yeah. rubbing against stones to smooth each other over. Right. It's the rub. Yeah. That's the uh, story of the big O, Shel Silverstein, kind of. It's about <laughs> love and relationships, but it's a child's book. Anyway. It's uh, probably, is you know it like blackberries? No. <laughs> Stop. Stop it. <laughs> I've got one more thought on this question before okay. you let us go to another one. Okay. The For non-Catholics that are probably Christians, I, I think that most... Protestants have a pretty healthy respect for the New Testament world. Like hmm. we're doing what we're doing because Paul wrote it in Romans five, or yeah. we're doing what yeah. we're doing because First Peter two says this. Yep, um, and they know what Antioch is, and they know what where Smyrna is, yep. and Ephesus, and they've read the Acts of the Apostles. Um, and some of their complaints are they feel like maybe their Catholic brethren don't know those things, sure. and they're like, "How can mm-hmm. you be a serious Christian and not know these things?" So, I think for Catholics that are trying to evangelize those folks, um, they have to evangelize yourself first, maybe. Um, and for those folks, so they want to do their own research. They need to see, hmm. they need to hear what was written in the first two centuries about the Eucharist yeah, um, and about yeah, some of the other good. things they might have issues with, with the Catholic church, because the, if in 90 AD, they were already talking about the real presence in hmm. this way and 120 AD, they were talking about it in this way. Yeah, and it, it's so so clear and spelled out. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty convicting for particularly for people that take the New Testament very very seriously. Hmm. Um, I think they tend to be historically smart enough to figure that out. Hmm. Um, and then I give the challenge to particularly priests. I I want to hear more priests quote the Church Fathers, that's um, good, and quote yeah. the Catechism and Let's quote go. the wealth of resources that there are. Um, yeah. I mean, I one of the most memorable homilies I heard about the Eucharist before I was convinced was a younger priest just kind of going on and on about how he wouldn't have made this decision if it wasn't true. Like, mm. that's I believe you, but that if the real presence wasn't yeah, true, sure. Yeah. But I I also need some other like convicting evidence of like mm-hmm. quote a yep. few church fathers for me and and give me. Give me something to chew on that tells mm. me that this is the right interpretation, um, because it's there. I just don't know. I don't know if Catholics in the Church necessarily rolls out the riches for people, right? As much as you could all the time, mm. or as much as mm. they could. And so I would encourage Catholics when trying to reach non-Catholics um, in that way. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't disagree. I think not just our priests, but I think we. We, mm-hmm. as in church, we need to know our stuff too. And I'm not saying we have to have the catechism memorized, but at least have we a should couple. probably carry it around though in our backpack. You're right, honestly. And the index is really good. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, the index it's been revised. Is so good. It's been revised too. So, and yeah, just to, like we have to have a couple arrows in our quiver. Yeah, that's a yeah. good point. You know, like if I don't know how many, but at least a couple. You know, to to be able to have that type of conversation. Hmm. And we'll put a couple links in the show notes of this episode of resources that I would direct you to. 
uh, that have been really helpful for me to just be aware of with respect to the early church fathers or the late church fathers or the medieval fathers or whatever. <laughs> There's lots of different stuff out there because we've got two almost 2,000 years worth of goodies for you. Mm-hmm. So I'm over the moon right now because like the conversation for the past hour has been exactly pretty much exactly about what this document section mm-hmm. is that we're going to cover today. I was so, so good. I was so thrilled when you sent this section. Supposing I read the right one. Hey, Dom, go ahead. Dom, <laughs> Dominice Cene yes. by Pope St. John Paul II. He wrote this on February 24th, 1980, the second year of his pontificate. Uh, and he wrote this to his brother bishops to put forward some general reflections on worship of the Holy Eucharist, of the Eucharistic mystery. He says that in paragraph seven. Um, and he says that also so that they too, as in us, the church, may be able to be built up and vivified, filled with life to offer spiritual sacrifices. He says that in paragraph two. He also said finally, uh, in later in that paragraph two, he says that the church and the world have a great need of Eucharistic worship and that Jesus waits for us in this sacrament of love. Ah, oh, it's so good and it's so mm. true. So why are we only covering two sections today? Because they're kind of lengthy. Paragraphs or sections. Um, well, this is actually, I don't know how to say this, but it's like paragraph 10, I think, and 11. <laughs> I don't know, a nested rushing doll section. It's it's like, okay, section it's kinda three. It's kind of like one of Paul's sentences. Really? He's really long. Come on, man. Like, take a comma. Like, give me a semicolon. Give me a colon. Come on, Paul. Even uh, a period. Even <laughs> a period would be great. Like, you can cut that thought up. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we're reading uh, sections 10 and 11, paragraphs 10 and 11 today. That's what we're covering uh, for our discussion on Dominice Cene. So some context on this section. This section is truly an ode to our priests and bishops throughout the whole world. It really highlights, I think JP2, he he does a great job of highlighting uh, the sacred and graced character and the role of priests and bishops in the body of Christ. Talking about the responsibility that is assumed through the anointing of the priesthood of, of those who have had their hands anointed with chrism, um, just with respect to the Eucharist and the worship that they are above all, he says, above all, above everything else, literally nothing else comes before their personal responsibility of overseeing the Eucharistic sacrifice in the mass. Like that is paramount. There is mm. nothing greater because without the mass, there is no priesthood. Without the last supper, right. there is no priesthood. It's right here that their foundation, like the the foundation of the holy order of Christ's one hmm. and eternal and universal priesthood is established. So that's just, I love this. This is a great section. I, mm-hmm. You know, there, there's <laughs> yeah. some sections of these documents that I'll be honest, I'm like, mm, I could have done without reading that one. But like I've, every single one of these, I'm like, I'm chewing it up. This is so good. So greatest hits for you guys. What stuck out to you? Well, Bo, I was hoping you would take this one. I feel like I had a couple more from the next section, but okay, this one I was like, I want to hear what Bo has to This is right this. in my wheelhouse. Yeah, that's what I like, thought. When I got to section 10 and it's the table of the word of God, like that's the, if if I would suggest my gripes and the gripes I hear most often through Protestant um, circles mm. is Catholics not taking the table of word, the word of God seriously. Mm. And so the... Go back to that book, Evangelical, Sacramental, uh, Pentecostal, Why the Church Should Be All Three, that he essentially suggests that even the way you structure your worship space hmm. suggests what you're emphasizing. Are uh, the altar yes. are the altar and the pulpit, or what do Catholics call where you deliver the ambo? From, the ambo. Mm-hmm. Are they equally prominent or at least similarly prominent? Right. Um, 
where you can go into mm. a church building and know, okay, they is the drum set front yeah. and center? Is yeah. there a big pulpit front and center? Is the altar front and center? Yep. Um, and so I think it's just such an easy practicality for no, no matter what stream yep. of Christianity you're currently in to ask yourself, yep. what is front and center? And if both the altar and mm. wherever you deliver the word of God from are both front and center, yep. then I think that you're probably striking a pretty nice balance. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so for this to be about the table of word of God and, and even just the first yep. sentence, we are well aware, well aware that from the earliest times, the celebration of the Eucharist has been linked not only with prayer, but also with the reading of sacred scripture and with singing by the whole assembly. Yep. Um, just the balance of the liturgy of the word with the liturgy of the Eucharist and how the liturgy of the word mm. sets the scene and yeah. sets the table for the liturgy of the Eucharist. Yeah. Um, I think it is really, really important. And I'll be honest that for my first, I mean, I was going to mass with faithful people mm-hmm. to masses that were done really, really well. And I still wasn't really getting what the table, what was happening at the table. Sure. Um, so I, I would encourage people that are first being exposed to Christianity to maybe do the research or excuse me, to Catholicism, maybe do your research, but priests and, and bishops yeah. and deacons to mm-hmm. maybe make some space for, um, at least once a month to yeah. be a little explicit of like, here's what we're doing, here's why we're doing it, yeah. um, hmm. and make just kind of a clean transition for the people that haven't been there their whole lives. Because yeah. the table of the word makes sense to me. Like, yeah. hmm. if the homily's good, if I'm able to follow along in the scripture, um, I think that maybe that handoff from the, yep. the word mm-hmm. to the table of the Eucharist yeah gets fumbled for people that haven't been around yeah, in the church mm-hmm. their whole life. Yeah. You ready for this? Go. What are the two things to ever be worthy oh. of worship on the altar? It's the, it's the, the word it's and the, the gospel and mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And you think about the church structures. Um, the, the classic way for a church to be structured is cruciform. Cruciform mm-hmm. being the sign of the cross. If you were to bird's mm-hmm. eye view, looking over the top of it, the church would look like Across, look up any cathedral in Europe. Hmm. I'll bet you good money. Bird's eye view of it looks like a cross. So, as a side note: I actually had a friend of mine in college who was getting his master's degree yeah. in architecture, and he was dating a Catholic at the time. He was not Catholic, but he was he did his like thesis on the architecture of Catholic churches. Oh wow! And then converted to Catholicism because Let's of go. learning so much about like I mean, learned more about the Catholic Church in general, but learning about the beauty wow. behind mm-hmm. Catholic churches and the intentionality behind that. Wow. And what's the what's always at the heart, the cross beam, the cross section, where the horizontal bar meets the vertical bar of the cross, what's right there? The altar, the mm. heart of the cross is the place of sacrifice. So good. And how God's table is the cross. Like the, mm. the, the table of God is the altar of sacrifice. What's the difference between a table and an altar? Altar is where sacrifice happens. Um, but the Lord, like even at the Last Supper, that table, if you will, that they had their Last Supper at was actually an altar because that's where mm-hmm. the Lord um, sacrificed himself. When you, when you make a gift of yourself, something mm-hmm. has to be sacrificed, right? Something has to be given away. But he sacrificed in such a way that he lost nothing. The altar is the table, but the table mm-hmm. is the altar. And oh, it's it's a both and, man. Welcome to the both and world yeah. of Catholicism. <laughs> so cool. I'm, it's beautiful. I will tell you that I'm... Very excited to be in the both and world. Yeah. That I think that a lot of the, again, a lot of the divisions come down to either ors. 
Yeah. Hmm. Um, and I think when we're doing things well, it's both hmm. and. It's yeah. word and Eucharist. It's hmm. um, go through all your both ends that you want to. Yeah. That I think that holding those two things in tension bring yeah. you into this healthy middle. Yeah. Um, hmm. That's the place to live out of. The Catholic Church is Oreos. <laughs> Oreos? Yeah. It's hmm. not this side or that side. It's everything. Hmm. It's, you know, I mean, who eats just one part of an Oreo? I mean, come on, you got to get, you got to get the full bite in there, you know, a <laughs> little bit, a little bit of milk. All right, I'm done. There you go. That's great. <laughs> I love it. Add a blackberry to it. <laughs> I'm sorry. It lives on. It lives on. It does. Oh, that's good. I, I find that my, my own like personal experience of like growing in my love for the mass, my love for the Eucharist, my love for the word mm. has been so much like just in been simple invitations from the Lord himself. Yeah. Like I can think about just different experiences I've had. I mean, my first time going to daily mass over the course of a longer period of time was when I, my first year at SPO training and we had daily mass at training. Mm. And, and after the, like, let's say 10 days, I was able to look back and be like, wow, my, my life has more grace in it Mm. because of the mass. And that was like a first realization for me. And then over the course of, I don't know, a few years into that, like growing up, I um, started, I, I received communion on my hand, which is great. You sure. can do that. Um, but at some point I felt like the Lord was asking me to receive it on the tongue. Mm. So I was like, okay. And just for my own personal walk with him, that like increased my reverence and increased yeah. my awareness of his presence. Um, I also felt at different points, there's just been little inspirations of the Holy Spirit where um I felt like he was asking me to be more intentional about the way I make the sign of the cross yeah. and to actually like go all the way down on my abdomen and not, not just do, do a, like the little, the little mini cross, but like, Oh, I'm going to actually be intentional about this. Yeah. Or even with mass, like then preparing, preparing for mass and you can, there's various things you can prepare, but a practical way is like, can I read? And I don't do this all the time, but I would like to, can I read the, the readings mm. before I go in? Because then when I hear them, it's not going to be like falling on deaf ears. Yep. Like I'm not really paying attention, but oh no, I've already chewed on this. I've mm-hmm. already read this. And right. so now I'm actually in a posture ready to receive the word of God. Cause yeah. I think so many Catholics and myself included, sometimes I can come into mass and, and feel more just like I'm, I'm a spectator yeah. or I'm watching as opposed to a participant. Um, but when I enter in with the knowledge and awareness of I'm a participant in this, I'm yeah. ready to receive the word in a particular way. And then, you know, participate in the sacrifice of mass as well. Um, yeah, there's just been like little moments for me over the course of several years where I think the Lord himself has just been guiding me to that. Um, so good. Lee, Active participation. Lee, you're the word guy. Doesn't liturgy mean something about like the work of the people? Yes, it means the work of the people. There you go. Right you are, Bo. Gold star for Bo. Bo, well, I think Bo has all the gold stars. I get, I get like true. one. Yeah, no, that's no, no. not true. <laughs> I, but... It I does. say that in the sense that I think for a lot of people, liturgical, a lot of people, I'm saying Christian world, like yeah. outside looking in on Catholicism, uh, liturgical can be a little bit of a dirty word, like hmm. dry liturgy. and, and yeah. soulless, but liturgy should be the work of the people. It should be this yeah. participation. Hmm. It's interesting though, because there are, I'm I'm becoming aware of, well, at least one, but I think more like a pretty well-known um, church in New York. I think it's, it might be non-denominational, but there, there's like a liturgy to it. Um, and so it's interesting to me that there's like some well, like, and this guy's a pretty well-known pastor that is like that. Yeah. Their church has a liturgy to it. And is I'm it just Redeemer? Kinda, 
I don't Redeemer actually Fellowship? know. Um, no, the name of the church. I think it's the Church of the City of New York or something like okay. that. Um, but there's like a liturgy to it. And so I'm just kind of fascinated by that. And this I, I, similar, I like have a hunger um, yeah. for unity in the church. And so I, I like mm-hmm. to become aware of like the different movements of the spirit in really faithful other Christian denominations, um, just right. to see like, Lord, how are, how are you bringing about unity? And so just that's kind of piqued my interest of like, oh, there's liturgy happening in, yeah. in some non-denominational churches. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Like he's, he's begun the process of, yeah. not to say he's, he, you know, he ever wasn't at this work, but you know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. of like peaking curiosity in other places of the world and other mm-hmm. places of the very splintered church that you know we find ourselves a part of he uses curiosity to start bridging the gap like mm-hmm. how many how many like this eucharistic revival happening right now in the united states mm-hmm. i mean um people it's everywhere mm-hmm. like in every in almost every corner of the protestant and evangelical world this non-denominational world just everything that there's a communion revival happening right everywhere it's everywhere so yeah the curiosity right it says where did this come from where did this curi- where did this movement come from? The Lord. Seriously. <laughs> like why working through his church? Yeah, yeah. amen. Yeah, yep. absolutely. The quote the quote that's credited to Saint Jerome came to my mind of ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. Yeah. Mm. That the that's I just good. think of how many people have received if not well formed by the word. Yeah. How many people have received the Eucharist haphazardly and and without a full understanding of, of what they're receiving there sure. if you're not receiving both. Right. Um, so that, and, and that's where I feel like I'm in a, a very blessed position of um, so much formation on who Christ is historically and who he was as a person, who he's continued to be Yeah. Um, in his divine nature, the, and now to be able to f- receive him in bodily mm-hmm. form in such a deeper way, um, I just feel blessed and gracious in that way. And to the point earlier, like I, I don't think I would be receiving Christ and the graces of the Catholic church as enthusiastically if I hadn't spent so much time in other expressions of Christianity. Sure. Um, to the point of what the priest said earlier, I think mm. there's a, there's kind of a timeliness to that maybe. Mm. That's cool. I'm tracking. Uh, in 10, he really, he says, the proclamation of the word should express such capacity, simplicity, and dignity so as to highlight the special character of the sacred text, even by the very manner of reading or singing. And hmm. anybody's out there who's like, man, the music in my parish sucks. <laughs> uh, there's a really easy solution to that. Hmm. Um, you do something about it. Uh, oh, but why? Why does it have to be me? Because you noticed. <laughs> and you care point. you if you if you care enough to complain you care enough to actually do something about it so um <laughs> the yeah, challenge I, has been laid i say that as an encouragement to like the the only the church worship mm-hmm. whatever take this with a grain of salt i am not making a theological declaration but the church when it, your parish's mass celebration is only as good as the people mm-hmm. make it because you okay what is it it's a corporate work it's mm-hmm. the liturgy is a corporate work and we all have a part to play and i'm not just to clarify i'm not speaking about the sacrifice of the mass i'm speaking about <laughs> the liturgy the, mm-hmm. the the corporate work of the people mm. so yeah if something is off like it's up to you to do something about it or at least mm. no yeah it's up to you to do something about it so i'm a little bit more on that i i've been convicted of that in the past the things that we notice mm. most 
are probably the things that we're gifted in. Mm. And for me, I, I mm. think that uh, teaching and, and mm. more of a, yeah. a gift of teaching and knowledge and, and yep. so forth. So um, that's what I notice first when I go into church. I, mm. If the music is subpar, I'm like, okay, we, sure, fine. Maybe I noticed, maybe I didn't. Yeah. But if the homily's like three minutes and didn't really have much substance, I'm like, okay. Missed opportunity. Okay. It frustrates. <laughs> yeah, it can frustrate. On the Sundays, yeah. particularly. But Bridget might notice something entirely different when she goes to Mass. Sure. Lee, you might notice something entirely mm. different. Sure, sure. Um, and I, I do think that's a good encouragement yeah. to people that what you're noticing is something you would like to be a it little matters. bit better. Mm. That that might be your gifting and that might yeah. be what yeah. you need to lean into. I like that. And then ask, I like asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, is there an invitation in that that you have for mm-hmm. me? And yeah. seeing what he says. Exactly. Yeah. Or even just more simply, like, why is this bothering me? Hmm. God, can mm-hmm. you, Jesus, please tell me, is this? Well, yeah. yeah. Is this That's a holy bothering? I've, I've even heard um, there is a, kind of an interaction between a friend of mine and one of his mentors. And basically, um, there we were putting on an event and his mentor was like, you know, so the mentor guy was like leading and he, he goes to my friend. So if you, as you're watching me, if you experience things coming up that are kind of comparison, like well, I, I would do that differently. Like basically he said, don't ignore those because you might have a calling to do something similar to what I'm doing, but the Lord is going to work through you differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate that because I think sometimes sure comparison can come up and we don't want to compare, right. but then also sometimes there's thoughts that come into our head and think like, yeah, I would actually do that differently. And if there's an opportunity and it's not saying what, so-and-so is doing is bad actually it's like no but who god made me to be is unique and specific and the way that he wants to work through me is unique and specific so there might actually be some kind of calling in that like you have such a gift of teaching that there's there's actually a calling in that that you have in different places that the lord is going to open up for that yeah thank you i love the difference uh, making the differentiation between like character and actions Hmm. so like um if I'm comparing the actions of two separate things or people, it just to just to be clear, it's not a matter of me judging their personal character, right? You know, it's <laughs> right, like, sure. you know, oh, I, I don't know how that, you know, the, I wouldn't necessarily phrase it that way. It's not an attack on character. It's not an attack on ca- capacity or capability. It's just like, okay, I would maybe just approach it a little different. And yeah. it's yeah, it's it's it could be just as simple as that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So be be mm. cognizant of those things that perk up in your mind and your heart and your soul during mass. All right, let's get on to 11. <laughs> I know already that this, 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 I get so excited sometimes and I have full conversations in my mind before I'm actually able to speak a sentence. Let's talk about 11, the second paragraph in question today. So many good things. Yeah. I mean, I had a couple just quotes written down. Um, yeah. The first is when it says, it must be remembered that the Eucharist as the table of the bread of the Lord is a continuous invitation. Yes. And I don't really know what to say about that except, wow, mm-hmm. just that. I think the phrase continuous invitation stood out to me and it's something I want to ponder just like, yep, Lord, help me. How is how is that a continuous invitation and how am I responding to that? So that's just that was something that stood mm-hmm. out to me. And then a little bit later in that, um, one of the things that is written is this. Lack, it says, lack of Eucharistic hunger and thirst, which is also a sign of lack of adequate sensitivity towards the greatest sacrament of love and a lack of surrounding of its nature. It's like, whoo, wow. Um, But what kind of I was reminded of as I was reading that is, and I've, I've, this comes from somewhere else that I've heard it, but I mean, we, we kind of live in an upside down kingdom. Like um, the first will be last, the last will be first. 
anyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Anyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Like it's kind of, it goes backwards. And then in this, like this idea that actually in the kingdom of God, as we eat, yeah. we become more hungry. And so with this like lack of Eucharistic hunger and thirst, it's like, well, we, we actually want to become more hungry. And the way to become more hungry is to eat more and to, to consume more of the Lord and the nourishment that he has for us. Yeah. Cause it's not like the Lord isn't just trying to give us like a protein bar for life. Right. You know, it, it's not a, okay, gas mm-hmm. up and go until I need more gas. Right. It's a, no, I want this for you at all times. Right. For the rest of eternity. Yeah. And it's, I mean, this might take us down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but I, I really enjoy looking at and learning throughout different books of the Bible and in scripture, how, I mean, bread is mentioned a lot of times mm-hmm. and there's a lot of, a lot of, yeah, yeah, a lot of bread in the Bible. Um, but one of the things, um, and again, this isn't my own, but I, it's really stood out to me is like thinking about like the daily bread and nourishment and how it often can come in unexpected ways. I mean, we think about, um, Elijah when he's like, basically is kind of in, in the pits yep. of despair and wants to die and like angels provide him food and bread for the journey. And like the, the Lord wants to be our nourishment and bread for the yeah. journey. Um, or then you go back to like um, Caleb and Joshua when they're sent to go spy out the yep. promised land and they come back and they see giants, but they interpret it as like, they will be our bread basically mm-hmm. like in this struggle that we have, like actually the Lord's, triumph within us is going to be like the victory yeah. in, our, in our nourishment. Um, or Psalm 23, you prepare a table before yeah. me in the presence of my enemies. Like there's something about the table yep. where there's actually like an opportunity for intimacy there that isn't available anywhere else. Yeah. So I just, it's, I'm such a fan of just like looking through at scripture and, and finding and learning. I'm learning so much about just the, there's salvation the multitude yeah. of, yeah, yeah, of how God just like peppered that in there throughout. The you've story clearly, of salvation. You've clearly spent a lot more time in scripture since you were 16. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> it started a journey. It Let's did, go. yeah. Yeah, the the false pride of thinking that like I'm not worthy because you, you know that one time in mass where it's like, behold the Lamb of God, happier those called to the supper of the Lamb. And we say, Lord, I am I'm not, not worthy, worthy that you should come under, under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall or be healed. Or if you're a mess out and you say rough. Rough, my rough. I think we say, uh, yeah, we say, I don't know, what do I say, rough? Roof. 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 I say roof. Do I say roof? I say roof. You think you said roof? I did? Cool. (laughs) But anyway, just the idea that mass doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Hmm. Lord, I'm not worthy. See ya. Hey, you know, repent same time next week. Great. No, it's, I'm not worthy. And he's like, I know, Mm -hmm. but I, my love for you is, you're worthy of my love. Like what God says is, Bigger and better than what I say. Hmm. His word is efficacious. Mine is fallen. When I say I'm not worthy, it's an acknowledgement of my own fallenness. Mm-hmm. Not, it's not a disqualification statement mm-hmm. of where I'm actually, I'm not qualified to live in the kingdom. I'm not qualified for God's love for me anymore. I'm not qualified, whatever. It's just saying, I can't do this alone. I mess up hmm. and I know it. Yeah, That's what mercy is, right? Hmm. It's undeserved. If mercy was deserved, that's not mercy. That's justice. Mm-hmm. And if God was just, just, if he was only just, it's game over from day one. You know? Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll stop. I'll, I'll tell you that that's been a little bit of a, 
coming from a, like a sufficiency of the cross, yeah. evangelical background, that statement in mass has been a stumbling block for me at times. Yeah. That I've had to, well, I think it's a both and. You've got to focus on both. Yeah. Only say the word and my soul shall be healed uh, because the more of the evangelical inclination is right. my soul has been healed. Hmm. Like I've been justified. Yeah. It's already happened. Yeah. Um, so that's something I'm still walking in yeah. of like this balance of, because I've always been a faith and yeah. works guy. Like I mm-hmm. believe it's got to be faith and works. The yeah. faith leads into works. Um, but that statement is always like yeah. been interesting for me to process right. coming from the, the theological background I come from. Yeah. Um, and so like acknowledging my unworthiness and then him bringing me into mm. the worthiness constantly. Right. Um yeah. It's kind of a paradigm shift. Yeah, I mean, he takes he says this, take this, all of you need of it. At the Last Supper, he's well aware who's at the table with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's well aware. He says, take this, all of you in mm-hmm. need of it. He knows who mm-hmm. was sitting at the table with him. Uh, Mark chapter 5, uh, the ruler who does not actually come to him mm-hmm. because he's he's just so in awe of who God is and who and how he's not God. Like, honestly, I love that. That's just like such a great hmm. disposition of heart to live and operate out of. But I, I'm not even worthy that you come under my roof hmm. uh, because of it's just an acknowledgement of who you are, God. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is, right? It's like, God, you are so much more than I could ever even fathom. I am not worthy, you know, hmm. just this acknowledgement of who God is and who I am hmm. in him. And I think he understood it. What is Jesus' response to that statement? Not even in Israel have I found such faith. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a strange dichotomy. But the thing that sounds like I'm faithless and I'm just like wallowing in my self pity, Jesus is actually telling us that that's one of the that's the greatest acclamation of faith that we can mm-hmm. actually have. Chew on that. Mm-hmm. Gnaw on it. Gnaw on it. Trogo, baby. Trogo. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts? We've I've been got, at this for a minute. I've got a little bit on 11. And then Come we on. Can, we can be done with the being on it. Come on. Um, <laughs> middle of the first paragraph of section 11, uh, just have, it is a manifestation of worship of Christ, who in Eucharistic communion entrusts himself to each one of us, to our hearts, our consciences, mm. our lips, and our mouths in the form of food, which leads, I mean, it jumps out at me for a lot of reasons, but it leads to... In the short time I have been experiencing the Eucharist for myself of consuming yeah. a vision that I've been getting. First of all, just focusing on the crucifix was a was a new phenomenon for me. Like Yeah. Oh, Jesus is actually there. Right. Having statues mm. of Mary and and uh, having statues and, and yeah. more mm. more visuals within the worship space. Um, and so first of all, I was training myself just to focus on the Eucharist in a lot of times. And yeah. that'd be my point of focus when I was in Mass. And now that I'm uh, more fully participating in the Eucharist. There's been this vision of, like the flesh coming down from the crucifix mm. into the yep. the bread wow. that the the priest is holding. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. That's been pretty constant and seems somewhat effortless. That there's almost like a um, just a vision that's more divine there that I'm yeah. not even conjuring up myself. Mm. That um, yeah, wow, has been really interesting and powerful just over the last few weeks of um, yeah experiencing Jesus in an entirely new way in a much more intimate way. Mm. It sounds like a special grace. Mm-hmm. The The difference between like head knowledge and experiential knowledge is so real. Ah, I just, I, I desire that experiential knowledge of the Holy Eucharist for everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody, not just a knowledge of, oh yeah, that's true. Two plus two mm-hmm. is two. 
you know, it was four. Sorry. <laughs> Bridget's over here sweating. The mathematician. She's like, are you kidding me? Did he just say that? No, but yeah, you hmm. know what I mean? Just the, the difference there between hmm. um, knowing something and then actually knowing it because you've experienced it for yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Mm. Wow. Thank you for being I was here. Like, do we have time for closing thoughts? I don't. Do you have closing thoughts? I have some closing Get thoughts. Get in but... there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just something. So I'm going to just p- probably pull together like two experiences I've had in the last like seven months yeah. and then have a thought with it. But I recently got back from the Holy Land, which no. was so incredible. You've got to look at her book. I'm upset. <laughs> yeah, both saw my book. I made a Shutterfly book of like a, like cool. a photo book. Um, I did it right away when I came back because wow. I was like, I gotta, I gotta remember yeah. this and be able to go back and know where things were. I love it. Um, but one of the things we got to see there was, well, the current upper room. So as we know, Jerusalem has the was destroyed and then rebuilt and then destroyed. So the upper room that's there now is not the original upper room, but it's like at the spot. And I was just re- like reflecting on, so I was at the encounter conference in late December and went to Dr. Mary Healy's breakout session. And Dr. Mary Healy is, help me out here. I know, I mean, I know a lot about yeah. her, but you probably would just be able to rattle it off. Sure. She is on the Pontifical Biblical Commission. So That's she's the basically the Pope's Bible study leader. Uh-huh. No, actually, she is in charge of ensuring there is no doctrinal error with respect to biblical interpretation of, of Scripture throughout the whole world. She's incredible. So yeah. I went to her breakout session, which was titled... Something in the effect of the Eucharist and the Holy Spirit. And I was like, I got to go to that. Check. Um, but I mean, I just, I, I love how she was, I have a couple like things that I yeah. wrote down. I was re-listening to the talk. But basically in the upper room, God gave the human race two, two of the greatest things he had. Yeah. He gave us the memorial of his passion um, so that we can like touch him yep. in flesh um, so that his saving work can be brought into our lives for all yep. time. And he gave us his own breath his own life, his own love, the love between the Father and the Son. Mm. And she says these two awesome mysteries and gifts poured out from the very heart of the Father who desired to give us for all eternity everything he had, and both were given in the upper room. Mm. And one of the things she commented on there is like, and I just had never thought about this before, like Jesus gave his apostles the Eucharist, and then he still told them to wait yeah, before they went out to do what he commissioned them to do. And so it's like they they have I mean they have the, what we now know is like the source and summit of our faith the Eucharist yeah. and yet he still said wait until the promise of the Father the deposit of your inheritance the coming of the Holy yeah. Spirit which then is like the second thing he gives in the upper room and just like without the power of the Holy Spirit the Eucharist like what well what Jesus yeah. did on the cross is just some historic event that doesn't have any power today but with the power of the holy spirit what jesus did on the cross becomes present in our life today yeah through the eucharist um and i think as catholics i mean we talk we've been talking this whole couple episodes now about um like the beautiful work of the lord that's happening both in the catholic church but then just in the christian church in general and how the lord is about a work of unity um and how as catholics we have the fullness of faith in our Euch- in the eucharist um but then also how we need to learn from our Protestant brothers and sisters, like to be open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, and I think like, Bo, you were saying like the, the charismatic re- renewal in the Catholic church has been about that. And I'm hopeful that like it will continue to go because I think when we live both of those, both of those gifts given to the, given to us by the Lord in the upper room, when mm-hmm. we live both of those fully, 
Like I just, I, I really believe there's going to be unity in the church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? I, I love it. Yeah. I'm all about the unity. Yeah. <laughs> unity. Yeah. The, the spirit is the spirit of unity. The Lord is the Lord of unity. Yeah. And I'm fascinated on how we messed it up and why we messed it up and how we're going to get back. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I, I'm very hopeful we're going to get back. Yeah. Amen. Man, Thank unity you, without sacrificing truth. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Yep. That's what. That's, that's true thing. unity. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah. Absolutely. But the world. The world's understanding of unity is uni- unity at the complete and total sacrifice and expense of hmm. truth, at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thanks for being here. Thanks for your apostolate of your life, of your family, of your leadership, and your sisterhood, because mm-hmm. you're such a good sister. Thanks. Yes. And you, such a good dad. Thank you, Lee. You're such I, a good dad. Well, dad in training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're on it. <laughs> a month in. Yeah, you've got time. You're doing it. You've got time. That's so good. Man, children, they make... <laughs> She's sanctifying you me. You think you're cool now? Just wait. They're going to make you so much cooler. Yeah. <laughs> a better dad, a better father, better son of God. Oh my wow. goodness. My kids have showed me what I am and what I am not. Hmm. Who I thought I was and who I really am. And uh, the pure love that they're worthy of. Yeah. Just because of who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what you start to understand about the father's love oh. as you parent or around children is it's amazing. It's insane. And it's every day. It's back <laughs> to what you were saying earlier about head yeah. knowledge and yeah. heart knowledge, experiencing yeah. something as opposed to just yeah. knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. The Lord loves you. He loves you so abundantly much. Like, you think you understand the Lord's love for you, but it's it's 20 million zillion infinity times more than you could ever even dream of. Like think of a waterfall. That's not even the sliveriest, like tiny sliver of a mm. percentage of how much the Lord loves you. Imagine standing under the biggest waterfall in the world. That's nothing, absolutely <laughs> nothing in comparison to yeah. how much he truly and unconditionally loves you. Ah, he loves you and Amen. he wants you to, he wants you to abide. Mm-hmm. He wants you to abide and he wants you to go and bear fruit. Yeah. We've got work to do. <laughs> We've got work to do to bring the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven to do what he's asked us to do. Not just asked, but commanded and commissioned us to do. He's equipped us for glory. He's equipped us for mission and he's calling you, dear brother or sister, dear listener out there to take up the sword of the spirit and to get after it. Hmm to build bridges of love, and to fight the good fight. Let's run the race on the mountain of God together so that when we meet him face to face, we can say, I did my best. Hmm. Finally, Lord, I love you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This has been New Mana. We'll see you next week. <laughs>